Well, good morning. Would you please take your Bibles and open up to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 21, where we'll be this morning. Acts 21. Uh, my name is Travis Bond. I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor here. Uh, last week, you might recall, uh, within our series in Acts, we got to eavesdrop on the Apostle Paul as he met for the last time with uh, these elders from the Ephesian church. Uh, if, you, if you weren't here, just know it's kind of an epic passage. Uh, Paul's farewell discourse here as we're wrapping up his third missionary journey, which is the last one covered in the book of Acts. Um, and so uh, from Acts 21, where you just opened, if you would flip back just a page to Acts 20, I want you to drop your eyes to verse 27 And be reminded how Paul said to those Ephesian elders, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I guess I want to say to you, um, before we really get rolling this morning, that that verse right there is as good a proof text as any for why Here at MCC, the bulk of our preaching is what's called consecutive expository. Um, In other words, rather than a steady diet of topical preaching, um, five sermons on parenting, um, four sermons on friendship, uh, three sermons on why you should buy a cat versus a dog, (laughs) whatever. And we could preach for a long time on that one right there. But instead... Um, we, it's not exclusively, but typically here at MCC, if you're a new guest, understand we like to work through large chunks or often entire books of the Bible um, because uh, it is um, a lot harder to skip over than the stuff that is difficult or we don't immediately agree with. It is too easy if you pick and choose from the Bible to just pick and choose the stuff that you like. Um, I recognize that uh, we are a little bit against the tide on this. Um, there are, of course, many American churches where the kind of the routine is the, the scripture is used as little more than a platform or a jumping off point for the preacher's own thoughts and opinions. And I get that temptation. I face it myself almost on a weekly basis. But folks, you need a whole Bible to be a whole Christian, okay? Need a whole Bible to be a whole Christian. So listen, wherever you go from here, wherever the Lord leads, wherever you may roam over the years, can I just say to you um, that if a church says you don't need your whole Bible, the whole Bible says you really don't need that church. (laughs) And this is particularly relevant. The reason I'm starting out this way this morning is because today we're coming off of that epic mountaintop passage of Acts 20, and we're moving now into very much kind of the the ordinary valley, as it were, of Acts 21. The passage that we're looking at this morning is exactly the kind of passage that we would be inclined to just kind of skip over. Um, At first glance, you read through these verses, and they come across as little more than geographical notes taken from Luke's travel diary. Um, But I think... If we're willing to do the hard work this morning, and certainly uh, some passages are harder than others, but if we're willing to do it, 
we may find that today's verses actually have quite a bit to say about a question that you and I are quite interested to answer. It's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. Today's passage speaks to a question that if we did know the answer, it would have a radical improvement upon our lives. I'm talking about the simple question, how do I know God's will? I don't mean in a big giant way. You know, we, we have the Ten Commandments. We know God's will is that his, his church would grow and people would, I'm talking about in an individual, specific and personal, how do I know God's will for me, what I should do today? Um, given the plethora of decisions that we make uh, every morning, every afternoon, and every evening, how do we make the right one? Or phrased differently, how do you choose your way when the ways are many? <laughs> how do you choose your way when the ways are many? So, Acts 21, we're, uh, we're saying goodbye to those Ephesian elders. Uh, we're now heading toward Jerusalem. This, this passage marks the end of Paul's third missionary journey. We'll pick it up at verse 1 of Acts 21. Here now, the very word of the Lord. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Thus ends the reading of God's word. As we went through that, and I tried to stress it a little bit in the verbal reading, did you come across, did you notice anything in the text there that's a little bit unusual or unexpected? There's a lot of travel, there's a bunch of towns mentioned, but then also this, With regards to this voyage into Jerusalem, there's a conviction for Paul and a conviction for those who loved Paul that were quite 
opposing convictions. If you, if you flip back again, one page to chapter 20 again, verse 22, Paul declares there, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Or if you're reading from the NIV, I think it says compelled by the Spirit. So here, at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, Paul is convinced in his soul, next stop, Jerusalem. He has set his face like flint toward that city. Does that remind anybody of anyone in the New Testament? Yeah, of course. It's exactly right. It's Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. And just like Jesus, not all the friends around Paul agree with what he's doing, um, which happens sometimes in the church, right? Things get messy. I think God's telling me one thing. You think God's telling us something else. So for the balance of our time this morning, I'm just going to highlight two kind of interconnected um, ideas that bubble out of this passage and then we're done, okay? First thing is this, the precious quality of Christian communion. The precious quality of Christian communion. Um, at the end of chapter 20, uh, remember verbs were just kind of heaped up there um, as Paul departed those Ephesian elders who he loved so much and they loved him so much. And verbs like knelt, prayed, wept, embraced, grieved. And then those kinds of descriptors, they continue into our text this morning. If you look right there at verse one, after we had parted from them, another translation will say, after we had torn ourselves away from them, that's probably gets actually to to it a little bit better because the Greek word there is apospeo. It's the kind of word that would be used of weaning a child from its mother's milk, which if you've ever gone through that, can be very emotional for both parties involved. So, I mean, those Ephesians, man, they loved him. They really loved him. But it's not just the Ephesians who loved Paul. You see it again um, in this, for this little congregation in Tyre, for instance. Now we're at verse 5. They all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And, and there's, you kind of get this image that there's this rich fellowship, this bond between brothers and sisters in Christ. And that makes sense when we think back of what we know, because Paul was never a one-man show, right? He constantly sought the, the precious quality of Christian communion. If you, if you like a little bit of homework in your sermons, um, go home this afternoon before you take your Sabbath nap, before you get ready for the big game. Open up your Bible once again, Acts chapter 21. Go through the first 16 verses and just circle. Every time you find a word or a phrase that alludes to um, like hospitality, or relationship. I mean, so it's all over the text here. Luke, as he's writing, he doesn't make it didactically. Now, a word on fellowship. It's, it's, it's a narrative. It just kind of bubbles up. Wow, Paul was really into Christian fellowship. That really seems to have mattered to him a great deal. Um, every location, you can't help but notice it, right? Ephesus, we already said, Tyre, Ptolemy, Caesarea, Paul constantly sought the precious quality of Christian communion. <laughs> Broken, flawed, weird as we might be, 
the gathering of God's people is special, sacred even. When present, we're thankful for one another. When separated, we miss one another. You guys, you've all been to the airport, right? The car pulls up to the terminal there. Mom and dad get out. Following them is their daughter, holding their little infant granddaughter. Yeah. And then the, the suitcase comes out of the trunk. And now there's the, there's the weeping and the hugging and embracing. And you're just standing there on the curb watching that whole scene. And you think, oh. It's hard to be pulled away from those we love. But the dawn is breaking and it's early morn. The taxi's waiting, he's blowing his horn. Already I'm so lonesome I could die. So kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you'll wait for me. Hold me like you'll never let me go. Shall we just all sing along now? Because I'm leaving on a jet plane and I don't know when I'll be back again. Oh, babe, I'd hate to go. I mean, Peter, Paul, and Mary, 50 years later, every one of you, you still got that tune in your head, right? Because it, it taps into something that's visceral. How much more then in the church? Right? By, which, by virtue of our, our common union with Christ, we then have this communion with one another. Folks, listen. It is a theological fact that I am more connected <laughs> to the, uh, you know, the, the 100-pound guy in India who doesn't speak anything but Punjabi or Bengali, but he knows Jesus, than I will be to my next door neighbor who has no hope in Christ. The precious quality of Christian communion. It's what gives Medway Community Church. We got really good music. I think we got understandable preaching, more or less. But, but the precious quality of Christian communion is what gives this church a life and our vibrancy, God working through us, that display, our guests see it. The community sees it, that we are a church family that will mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, and breathe grace to one another. And ironically then, it's this very kind of closeness which can sometimes kind of set the groundwork for the dissonance. Um, you got the precious quality of Christian communion, and then our only other header today, the practical quality of Christian counsel. <laughs> the practical quality of Christian counsel, by which I'm talking now about direction and, and, and guidance in our lives. How do you make decisions? How do you know God's will? When, you, when you're standing at the fork in the road... Whatever, whatever point in your life you are, how do you choose your way when the potential ways are many? I've told you guys before, I love Seinfeld. <laughs> I just, I think not only is that show hilarious, but I am more and more convinced the longer I've been a pastor, I think there might be an episode for every church situation 
and possibly every church member that you'll ever come across. For instance, you tell me, who is the best character on Seinfeld? Not Kramer, that is incorrect. (laughs) George is right. Yeah, of course it's George. He's fantastic, right? He, He is like... He's like Charlie Brown, but a little more angry. (laughs) Beaten down, fails constantly. He's the grown-up Charlie Brown. He's also pudgy, he's balding, he's grouchy. Basically, George Costanza is me without Jesus. (laughs) And he always makes the wrong decision. Every single time. Except for one episode. Do you remember this one? Oh, it's fantastic. George discovers the secret to making the right decision every time. It's called the opposite. Take a look. It's not working, Jerry. It's just not working. What is it that isn't working? Why did it all turn out like this for me? I had so much promise. (laughs) I was personable. I was bright. Oh, maybe not academically speaking, but... I was perceptive. I always know when someone's uncomfortable at a party. Got nothing over there? It all became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's often wrong. <laughs> Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. <laughs> I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. <laughs> Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> Well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna, because salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine... Bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. (laughs) Oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. (laughs) My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria, hi. (laughs) 
and suddenly every unattached guy is thinking, might be worth a shot. I, you know, I, I would say that I could write a whole sermon about that scene, but I kind of already did. <laughs> I love that scene. You know, I went to, I tried to find like the most absurd example of what is all over our culture. Find the secret to make the right decision. In fact, I think there's a book called The Secret, which tries to help us do this. Countless books, countless philosophies to help us always make the right decision. Um, This is, I would say, the heart cry. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're, this has very little to do with whether you're religious or not. Every soul in here would love to know the secret to making the right decision every time. And it's the same question then that's coming out of your text there. Uh, Paul and his missions team, they leave Tyre, they leave Ptolemy. Now we're in Caesarea, I'm in verse 10 now. We meet this guy named Agabus um, who has a stark warning, verse 11. He walks up to Paul, he takes the apostle's belt. If some guy tried to take my belt off, I think I'd punch him in the nose. But Agabus, he's a well-known prophet, so he can get away with it. He takes the belt, he ties up his hands, he ties up his feet, kind of dramatic. And he says, hey, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be bound just like this. And Paul goes anyway. I want you to notice something there. Verse 11 is a genuine prophetic word. We've met Agabus before. He's the real deal. He's a Christ follower. But John Stott, I think, helpfully points out that verse 11 is a prediction. It's not a prohibition. What happens is that Paul's friends take that verse 11 prediction. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And offer the verse 12 deduction that then Paul should not go to Jerusalem. You guys tracking with me? The the, the warning was divine. The deduction was human. And it kind of reminds me of Jesus and Peter, right? In Caesarea Philippi, you remember the scene. I I mean, it was kind of a high watermark for there for Peter. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And all of us kind of watching that think, yes, exactly right. You know, home run, he hit it out of the park. And then it's only like five verses later when Jesus is explaining that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, and he's going to rise three days from the grave. And Peter says, no, absolutely not. Never going to happen, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, yeah, get thee behind me. Satan, now how do you choose your way when there's more than one way to choose? How is it that Paul, who so valued the precious quality of Christian communion, now refuses the Christian counsel? I think this is the answer. Paul was modeling a principle that you and I will be well served to live out as well. 
the best way to find your way when there is more than one way is to point your life toward the gospel. The best way to find your way when there is more than one way is to point your life toward the gospel. Now I recognize that that will resonate far more with those who are Christ followers in here rather than those who are on the outside looking in as it were. I understand that, but I would encourage you to hang with me here and listen just the same. Paul's decision to continue to Jerusalem, it was not motivated by greed. There was, no, there was nothing earthly for him to gain there. It was motivated by the gospel, to, that he would go there to, to proclaim to Jerusalem Christ crucified and risen again. And so now we stand with the, the benefit of 2,000 years of history and all the hindsight, and we say, well, did Paul make the right choice? What do you think? Did Paul make the right choice? Well, Paul made a choice. It wasn't sinful. It wasn't in violation of God's law. And he felt compelled to act by God. George Costanza, he wanted a formula that would work every time. I want that too. But there is no such thing. Divine guidance is untidy at best. So we have God's word. We have prayer. We have counsel from Christians who have earned our trust. And then we face God's glory and we walk there. The best way to find your way when there is more than one way, is to point your life toward the gospel. Now some of you, have, you've walked into this room today and you carried with you all kinds of regret, all kinds of thinking about what might have been and, and what could have been if you had made a better decision in your past. For some, this will keep you up at night. It is all-consuming. And you really need to hear the words of a giant lion to a very little girl. Aslan to Lucy. Narnia's Prince Caspian. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would have turned out all right somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. No, nobody is ever told that. But anyone can find out what will happen. Man, I think there is so much wisdom there. You know, sometimes it's the children's books, right? I, I have gotten freedom, a significant amount of freedom in my own life from the regrets of the failures and the mistakes and the bad choices. Some I knew at the time were bad choices and some I honestly didn't. But just resting in this truth here, men and women who ought to be far more concerned with what will happen, sometimes we can spend years and decades even ruminating on what 
would have happened if only dot, dot, dot. If, if only I had taken that job. If, if only we had bought that house. If only when he proposed, I had said, fill in the blank. Folks, that thinking is, is a fool's errand. And there's very little place for it in the Christian life. Neither you nor I can ever know what would have happened. Every one of us can learn what will happen. So beneath the cross of Christ, it's far less about the road not taken and it's far more about the road that will be taken. The best way to find your way when there's more than one way is to point your life toward the gospel. And so can I ask you, if we try and bring it out of the first century into the 21st century, Is there a significant decision laying before you this week or in in the the weeks to come? Can I encourage you to seek God in prayer? Seek God in his word. Seek the counsel of the Christians that you trust and then point yourself as best as you can toward the gospel. Pull the trigger. (laughs) And then say with the believers in verse 14 of the text, let the will of the Lord be done. Should I buy this giant house? It's pretty. But it will also tie up for like 30 years in that mortgage kingdom resources. Should I choose this college? Well, it's not as well known a name but it's a good education. And, and I have a, a good sense that my relationship with Christ can grow there. Should, should I take this job? Well, it's a nice raise, but it's a lot of travel. And I know from my own past that being in a hotel room is not spiritually good for me. I mean, these are just examples, Right? But this is how Christians think. This is how we make decisions. Not with a formula. But pointing ourselves in the direction of the gospel. No tea leaves, no horoscope. The best way to find your way when there is more than one way is to point your life toward the gospel. Paul loved the Christians around him. Yet his sympathy for them was never going to be able to supersede God's purpose for him. And as we'll see in the chapters uh, that yet remain, God's purpose for him drove straight through the city of Jerusalem. His friend's response was natural. Paul's response was supernatural. Quick story and we're done. Um, I heard this week about a first-year Coast Guard uh, cadet Recruit. He's gone through the training, um, gets called out on a rescue for his first time in terrible weather. Hurricane force winds, rain stinging his face. Um, uh, they push off this recruit. He's scared. You know, he's holding on to his hat. He shouts to his captain over the wind, we'll never get back. And the captain replies, we don't have to come back, but we do have to go out. <laughs> Is God calling you out? 
to anything right now? Is God calling you to something, to risk something in your marriage, in your job, in your church, with your finances? Point your life toward the gospel. Because remember, this table that we come to, it's a remembrance, not only of our common union with one another, but it remembers our Savior who pointed his life toward the cross and he walked forward. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my